Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Welcome to River Valley. Man, I am so thankful that you here are here today, especially on a rainy day. I have conflicting feelings about that. Uh, the son of a dry land cotton farmer and granddad cotton farmer. I love the rain as a pastor. It drives me crazy on Sunday morning, but you came. So here we go. All right. So let's get after it. Second Peter chapter three is where we're going to be today. Second Peter chapter three, as we continue to look at this book and how Peter is reminding the church. He's leaving soon. He's been told he's going to die. And so he's reminding them of some last things. And today he's going to say, above all, remember the last days. And so we're going to talk about the last days and what that looks like. So the last days biblically are the, is the time after Christ's ascension into heaven, his death, burial, and resurrection, and then he ascended into heaven, that period until he comes again. So Peter's audience is li living in the last days, and here we are 2,000 years later. So some of the ways that we'll be able to know that we're really, really close, and then also how to act during this time is where we're going to be today. So 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 1. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you can recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior, given through His apostles. Above all, above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their evil desires, saying, where is His coming? That He has promised, ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things can continue just as they have been since the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. And through these, the world of, the wor of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand days is a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, like a thief. On that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and in godliness, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of this, the, hev the heavens will be dissolved with fire, and the elements will melt with heat." But based on this promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So I want us to look at the last days, because he says, above all, don't forget the last days. And then he gives us a clue to know how we are progressing in the last days, and it is with scoffers. Now, I don't know about you, but my guess is you have not used the word scoff in a long time. <laughs> so, you know, he's just a scoffer. You're like, I don't even know what that means. Uh, a scoffer is someone who, it's, it's mocking or ridicule. We, we live in a day of mocking and ridicule. We live in a day of sarcasm and sin. Cynicism, and more and more so, uh, 
concentrating, the, the, the ridicule concentrates on the person of Jesus, the people of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. Now, let's not wear this too heavy. We're in Texas. We, we still, I mean, like there's still a lot that, that we have in freedom that is really not prevalent in other parts of the country, so I'm very, very uh, thankful for that. But it is true that more and more what we will see as days progress till the end of the world, whenever that is, that we will see people openly and honestly mocking and ridiculing uh, the Lord. And the reason is pretty simple. The reason is, in fact, understandable. Think about Peter's day. Hey, he's coming back. He's coming back. And then a year passes. And then a decade. And then a hundred years. And a thousand years. And now 2,000 years later, he's coming back. He's coming back. So what do they say? He's not coming back. He's not coming back. We, it's the same that it's always been. You know, the rain comes in the spring, the, the heat comes in August, the plants die in the, in the fall. It's the same every year. He's not coming back so much so that they want to dismiss because he is slow coming back. We're going to discover why in a little bit, but because he isn't, hasn't come back yet, he really isn't existent at all. We really aren't beholden to him at all because it's a, it's a mythology as Christianity. This is, this is what we're being taught, but what we hear a lot about. And so, but the Bible says we, we need to be careful because we understand that the world is created by God and his very word created the world. And then he gives this interesting illustration. He says uh, in the Bible in Genesis, it says uh, darkness was over the water and we see that God created from water. In other words, God made one element, God used one element or one uh, water, and He created everything else. He created the heavens, He created the earth, He created everything. So think about that. God used His Word, His spoken Word, He just spoke it, and water became rocks, rocks became mountains. God used His Word and spoke it, and water became wood, and wood became trees, and trees became forests. God spoke the earth into existence with water, and then he destroyed the water, or he destroyed the earth with the water. In the flood of Noah, God destroyed the earth because of its wickedness with water. And he says, but I'm not going to do that again. That's what the rainbow is. It's a promise of God that he won't destroy the earth by water. He says, this time I'm going to destroy it by fire. I'm going to destroy the earth by fire and create a new heaven and new earth. So, so people are going to scoffers, the ungodly, they're going to continue to mock, they're going to continue to ridicule until the day that the end comes. But the Bible says very specifically that those who reject God, that they are destined for judgment. In verse uh, 5, it says, they overlook all that God is doing. And then in verse 7, it says, they are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. So it's talking specifically there about hell. And so I want to show you what hell is and some of the, the what God is teaching. Now, when I was, it's 25 years ago, I was a college student, pastor came up to me, and I respected this guy. He was, he was really, really a good guy. And he said, hey, I'm reading this book right now. And he got me this copy, and he said, you ought to read it. And then he said, it'll scare the hell out of you, which is the only way preachers are allowed to cuss. That's the only statement right there. And so, and, uh, but it did, it did. And so, the premise of this book is, is that this woman uh, claims that God uh, took her over a 40-day period and showed her hell and taught about it. So, we've seen that in recent days with heaven, but but this woman claims hell. I don't know if that's true or not, but she uh, illuminates a lot of the Bible teaching about hell. 
and about what it is. And I, I read this book, and I remember having nightmares about hell that I was learning and all of that. And so I wanted to show us very clearly, because I think there's some wrong teaching. First of all, let me show you a very important verse. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 says, Then Christ, then he will also say to those on his left, this is in the judgment, Depart from me, you who are cursed. Where? Into eternal fire. But look who it's prepared for. It's prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared. Hell is a place that is prepared, that is made for those angels who are now demons, who have rejected God, and that's who he made it for. Oftentimes, you know, well, that's mean to send people to hell. God didn't create hell for people. God created hell for demons and for angels who had rejected him. But God says in his word that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Everything good in the world is associated and is because of Jesus Christ. And so when you reject him, you don't get the good because he is the good. He is the source of all that is good. So a few things and teachings on hell that are really important. First of all, you need to understand that hell is a physical, real place. And that in eternity, you and I will be physical, real beings. We will be recreated, but we will be physical. We see this throughout the Bible in both the teaching of heaven and hell. Think about heaven. Heaven has homes. You're living in a home. Heaven has food. You're eating. Heaven has feasts and parties. You're hanging out. Heaven has streets, so you're going somewhere. Heaven has, has cities, and, but we're not just encapsulating that. You go out and you come in. It is a physical, real place, and so is hell. Hell is a physical and real place of eternal torment for those who have rejected Christ, who do not want the goodness of God in the world that he designed for them, that he wants for them. Instead, they reject that, and so they experience hell. So it's a real place, and oftentimes, most often, the word associated with it is fire. It's fire. My sister was uh, severely burned when she was in her early 20s, spent several months in a burn uh, unit, and just watching her and, and listening and hearing my mom, who was taking care of her uh, in this burn unit, and the, the, the physical torment of of being burned. She didn't get burned bad enough that the nerve endings were gone and they were still there. And so, but over a large part of her body. And that's, that's what this is describing. This is describing physical reality and torment of being burned in a place of fire. Hell is also, eternity in, in, in both sides is eternal. Hell is absolutely eternal. When you, when you uh, are when the Bible says, when we are absent with the body, we are present with the Lord, and then the judgment comes, we will be eternally put in either to heaven or hell. So I don't know if you know this about me, but when I was young, I spent several times, I was in uh, jail several times. The reason is, is my dad was a DPS trooper, and he would take me and show me the jail. Uh, oftentimes, I think as I was a teenager, I think from time to time he was trying to show me, you don't change, this is going to be your home. And so he would, he would take me. And so I remember as a little boy, I remember we were in the Boy Scouts and, and uh, we were in the, uh, touring the jail. I don't know where you went. Maybe you went to the zoo. We went to the jail. All right. Welcome to West Texas. And I'll never forget our leader. Uh, there was a hallway. And so the cells were over here and just a wall over here. And she was up so far against that wall. I think she was that thin. I mean, just, you know, like just scooting down. And one of the guys in the jail cell could see how, how alarmed she was. And he went, boo. And she went, ah! You know, I mean, just scream, scream, scream. And so I remember that. I also remember 
Uh, during that trip, uh, being thrown in the drunk tank for the very first time. Uh, and so we were, all of us, all of the scouts, all the leaders, we were put in the drunk tank. Uh, if you've ever not seen a drunk tank, uh, if you have seen a drunk tank, probably not the place to go, oh, I know what you're talking about. And so, so be careful. But um, so we, we got in the drunk tank. It's pink because that's supposed to be soothing. It smells like vomit. It's a whore. It's just a gross place. And, and they put us in there, but we were kind of together. Then later on, on, my dad would, you know, friends and I, we're bored. He's like, y'all want to go see the jail? And, you know, we're teenagers. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's like, he would open up a door with like prison jailer population. Want to go in? No, 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 we don't. And uh, I remember being thrown in the drunk tank, just us two. And then later on, I remember being all by myself. And I remember being in the, hearing that door slam and close and watching my dad walk away is a horrible sinking feeling. I knew he was coming back. My mom wouldn't let him not. I knew he was. 98% chance of getting out of here. But those, those few minutes, man, they were long. They were hard. They were, they were scary to me. Can you imagine? And the Bible is very clear that when, when the door is shut on your eternity, you will not have the key opened again. You will not have it rescued for those who reject Christ, the, the scoffers, those who do not believe in his love and forgiveness. They will spend an eternity apart from him. It's not his desire. It's not his desire. But it is your choice. God doesn't, didn't design that for us. And so we want to make sure that we understand that. So hell is, is this fire. Hell is eternity. We see uh, words to describe it like uh, eternal torment. We see words like utter or absolute darkness, outer darkness. We see loneliness within hell. These, these are real configurations for the way eternity is for those who do not follow Christ. And there's going to come a time where, where you are going to see this great departure from these people that we currently, at least in Texas, have in the middle. You have some people, you're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're like, are you? Because you, you don't, it doesn't seem to e uh, educate your, your thought processes or your language. It, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But it doesn't seem to, to conflict with the way you want to live your life. It's just not godly or holy. But in the last days, we'll see the, the righteous getting more righteous. And we'll see the scoffers, the, the mockers, the ridiculers just continuing to rise up in their sin. And there'll be this great chasm in between the two. This great difference in how we act in those who are, who are truly saved and informed by the love of Jesus Christ. And those who reject, those who, who say, I, I don't want that. He's not coming. I'm going to live my life however I want. I'm going to do it however I want. Those people are destined to spend an eternity away from him. So that's the last days. Now let's look at why God is patient in verse 8 and 9. Why God is patient in the last days. Why God has taken over 2,000 years to come back for the last days. I mean, many times, I mean, it's this idea of like, well, he's not coming at all or, or whatever it is. And so, but this is the way I wrote it right here. I think it's helpful. God's not slow. He's patient. Jesus' delayed return has nothing to do with his length of time, but has everything to do with his love of people. God's not slow coming back. He's not, well, one year, 1,000 years, 2,000 years, maybe I'll get around to it. God's patient. And this verse says in verse 9 that he's waiting so that everyone will have this opportunity to come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
We believe that God wants everyone everywhere to be saved. And God is working circumstances. God is, is moving things around you to maximize your opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can know who he is, so that you can experience his love. And when things go wrong, God uses those events in our lives to bring you back. One of the things that I caution parents about that I'm seeing a lot of, uh, especially uh, younger parents today, is this idea of not wanting their children to experience consequences, to experience hardship, to experience difficult things. Sometimes just because it's thrust upon them, sometimes it's a decision that they made, but they, they want to clear and alleviate so much of the consequences. That's not helpful. It's not good because God can use those in our lives many, many times. Let me show you uh, one of my favorite examples I read recently. So, when you think of Martin Luther King, you think of uh, his usefulness in the civil rights movement. And certainly, certainly that is the case. But I never really thought about, because that's what he's known for, I never really thought about it, his personal relationship with Christ and, and what, what that was. And he was a preacher, but I never really thought about that. So I read the story, uh, uh, MLK, he was, he was born, his father was a preacher. So he, he was in a Christian household early on, uh, but, but it really bothered him early on. Uh, segregation, the way, uh, the way black people were treated. This is the deep south in that time. And, and so, uh, so much so that, that one day uh, a young uh, student who was a student with MLK, a white student, took him home so that they could play after school. Well, the mom of the white student, she was, uh, she was just totally distraught that her son had brought home a black boy. And she ran him out of the house, cussing and screaming, get out of here, calling him, uh, calling Martin Luther King names, chasing him out, and uh, cussing out the boy who, for bringing him home. And that, those kind of incidences really bothered Martin Luther King to see people who claimed Christianity, the, the, the white couple in this case, but didn't seem to live within love. So Martin Luther King grew up with this, this very much this calling to, to end segregation, to end that kind of, of racism within America, but it also jaded him towards Christianity. It really hurt, like, it, the witness that God wanted in, in his life. And, and uh, he, he used that as a platform to, to speak and to preach, for sure. But people who knew Martin Luther King closely said he always struggled, or not always, he early on struggled with that until one day something greatly changed that impacted Martin Luther King's life. Let me show you a picture of that day. This is April 12th, 1963. This is Martin Luther King's... Um, mugshot in Birmingham, Alabama. This is his 13th of what would eventually be 29 arrests because he would protest against, uh, he would protest against uh, discrimination, segregation, those type of things. He was thrown into the Birmingham jail. Now again, he had been arrested 13 times up to this point, would eventually be 29. Here's his uh, picture. Just leave that one up for a second, please. Here's his picture. Of, this is a recreation of the jail cell uh, that he lived in for several days. Now, what's interesting about this moment for King was he got despondent. 
He got his spot. It was what he thought would occur in, in nonviolent civil disobedience that, that he had taught was that people would see the love. They would see that th- these are not people breaking the laws. These are people who are, are, are not treated as, as equal in the world. And then it would, it would win for him and, and for the people who uh, were his cause. It would win for them sympathy that I would say, this is a right. Like he was not doing anything and he's now in a jail cell. But what was happening in 1963 is especially as some people were getting tired of waiting for that. And so they were going to groups like the Black Panthers and other much more militant groups. He knew that that would separate people. He knew that they would be seen as violent terrorists, and that would be easy to perpetuate upon them the unjust rulings of their day. And so King was sitting there, he's very despondent. And then he remembered stories from his childhood of his dad preaching from a preacher who was also in jail. And he also, and he began to read the prison epistles of Paul, that Paul wrote while he was in prison, and God brought him alive to Martin Luther King. God brought him alive of this God who has a great calling and plan for his life, but so much more than that has a love for him in his life personally has a love for the hope that he gave Martin Luther King. It wasn't just the calling to the world. It was the hope of love for him himself. And people who knew Martin Luther King say he came out of the Birmingham jail a different man. A different man. And then those are the th- that was the time that most of the things that he is famous for began to happen. Like this picture. This is August 1963. I have a dream. I have a dream that one day my people will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And that fantastic, I mean, is the best vision statement uh, st- uh, sermon that you have ever heard. It was so wonderful. And he preached that after the jail cell. He preached that after really letting Christ get a hold of his life. After this, 1964, the Civil Rights Act that put into law, that that, uh, actually uh, disallowed the laws that would keep separate people, or people separate based on the color of their skin. After that, he got the Nobel Peace Prize. All of these things happened after after this moment with Christ in a jail cell. Now, don't, don't hear this illustration incorrectly. Please, please, please. I'm not saying it was good that Martin Luther King Jr. was thrown into jail. That's not what I'm saying at all. It was an, un, it was an unjust uh, means to try to perpetuate sin. Absolutely not. I am saying that God used it because he's patient. God used it to bring about this clarion call from this one man who brought about really and truly the end to segregation in the South as, we, as, as was known back then. It was amazing. God is patient. He's working circumstances to bring his people to him. Now, here's where that hits you. I want by a show of hands, if you know someone, you love someone who's lost, a friend, a family, a coworker, a neighbor, you are around, you are, you are bothered today by the fact that someone that you love that is close to you, whether that be family or just a relationship, or you're like, I'm not sure, and certainly I don't want God to bring them into eternity not sure. If you have someone like that in your life, I want you to raise your hand nice and high and keep them up. You have someone that you love, someone that you know. Now look around. You know why God has waited? For the people that we're raising our hands for. God loves them. He's working circumstances and events right now as we speak that those who we raised our hand for 
our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. God wants everyone everywhere to be saved, and He's working those events. So I want us to stop right here for just a moment, and I want us to pray specifically for that. Pray with me. And I want you to just lift up to God as we pray right here for just a moment. I want you to pray, okay, God, here's the names. Don't tell them the circumstances. God knows. Just, just call out the names in your mind to the, of those people. Call out their names. God, save them. Set them free. Father, we thank you for the names of the people that we love, that you love so much more, that has come so that, or that you have come so that you may set them free. I pray that you would work circumstances and events in their life so that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, many times the, the bad consequences of their sin, sometimes the, the, the things that are perpetuated on them, use every single event to bring about your glory in their life. And Father, we are patient, or we are thankful today for your patience that you haven't come back yet, that they may be saved. God, I pray that you would bring it about quickly in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the last part of the sermon has to do with how we live our lives. Turn it back to lights on, please. They're like, I don't know what to do. All right, so here we go. So, uh, how do we live our lives in the last days? What do you do in the last days? So, the Bible says very specifically, here's what's going to happen. The Bible says that the earth will burn and be dissolved, and then the works will be disclosed. So, the world and all that is in this world, that will burn and be dissolved. But our works will be disclosed. And then it says very specifically, the text says very specifically, so now you know how you ought to live. Live so that you have works that will have eternal value. Live so that your works will have eternity in mind. Now, because our, our world will be dissolved. Now, don't be careful with this. I'm not saying like you're like right in the middle of building a house and you're like, oh, I guess, I guess I'm wasting my time. No, not at all. You're building a house. You're, you know, having a business. You're, you're raising a family. You're doing things to learn and to grow. Fantastic. Continue to do those as long as you're not building your own kingdom in those moments. As long as you're not saying, well, this is my house. This is my money. This is my job. This is my family. You're saying, these are the things that God has given me, the tools in which to bring Christ into the world. So I bring people over to my house so that they can know the goodness of God. When people say, boy, it must be nice to have all that money. You know, your job's going really well. You're like, man, God has been so good to me. And you give him favor. You give grace in that moment. Say, God, he really has. He's given me so much. I'm so thankful for that. And you use the things of God. You use the ways of God to show people who don't know him, look, this is not mine. And I'm not investing in this in the sense that I don't know that one day this will burn. This will all be dissolved and go away. So I'm concentrating on what? My works of godliness. He says you should be concentrating on your works of holy conduct and godliness. This is what we should be concentrating on. Because our works are going to be this displayed for the world. People are going to see the life that we've lived, the, the thoughts that we've had, the private moments when no one was around. People are going to see these things, and so we're going to have those displayed, and the works can actually hasten the bringing of Christ. So think about that for a second. 
When's Christ coming back? I don't know. But when we live for Christ, when we serve Christ, when we are concerned about those people that we raised our hands for, we invite them to church. We tell them about Jesus. We witness to the goodness of God. We, you know, bring glory to him in River Valley, all of those ways. And then they say, you know what? I want that. I want that. I don't want what they have anymore. I want who they have. I want Jesus, who's this giver of these wonderful gifts. I want him in my life. And that person gets saved. The timeline is hastened. It's brought forward. It's quicker than it's ever been before. And more people are getting saved. And people are getting right with Jesus. And God is working among your family and in your neighborhood. People are coming to faith in Jesus. Your coworkers are doing Bible studies together. And all of a sudden, the day is hastening. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming closer. We can work towards that end. How? Through holiness and godly conduct, that we live in such a way, that we witness in such a way, that we invite people to church in such a way to say, this is what matters. This is why we're here. This is what is important. And we bring that about. So the Bible says, in closing today, here's where we're going to end. The Bible says, this is how it's going to happen. And it gives two words. The first word, here's how Jesus is going to come back. First of all, like a thief. Thieves never announce that they're coming to your house. So it's unexpected. It's not known. You, you weren't prepared for it. You would have, you would have gotten, made sure the doors were locked or made sure that you were home to protect it. It's an unexpected time when Christ comes back. So we're not going to know. So therefore, we have to be prepared at all times. So the Bible says, first of all, that he'll come like a thief. And then in this text, it says he comes with a loud noise. In the Gospels, it talks about that he comes with a loud trumpet blast. <laughs> I have yet to fully realize the power of that sermon. I was hoping at least one of you was a closet cusser. I really was. Just set it out. Just set out what you thought. Some of you, you got it under control because you thought it. You thought it. Jesus will come back that way. Unexpectedly with a loud trumpet. So two questions that I have for you today in closing. Number one, are you ready? He is coming back, and he's not slow, he's patient, and he will return when his people are gathered to him. He's coming back, are you ready? It's going to be just like that. Are you ready right now? Because we do not know when it's coming. We we will not be prepared in that way. So we've got to be prepared in all times. I want Jesus to come back today because I'm ready. I have a relationship with him. I'm going to heaven when I die. Second question, are you ready to have your works disclosed? Are you ready to have all of the things that you think and say and do? Let's just be, let's think about January. To have everything of your life disclosed before a holy God. Because what I find is sometimes people are, oh, I'm ready, I'm ready. And you're like, okay, how did you live this month? Oh, oh, (laughs) I'm not doing great. I'm not doing great in how I operate. 
Because he's going to come back and he's going to judge. And then he's going to come back and he's going to disclose all of our life. Everything about who we are, what we've thought, what we've done. And we want to be ready in a sense that yes, we're going to heaven. And yes, we're laying before him a life of holiness. A life of godly conduct before him. Jesus, come quickly. Your people are waiting. Let's pray. Invite you right where you are to bow your heads for just a moment. Are you ready? You are going to spend an eternity somewhere. Christ offers you salvation in heaven. Christ offers you grace and mercy to cover over your sins. That you can know that you will spend an eternity with him in heaven. So, are you ready? I mean, I, I, I mean, I knew it was coming and it still startled me. He will come back and it will be an interruption of all of your life. Be ready. Today, you can give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord. He died on the cross for you. He was raised to life to show you the way of eternity. Today, if you've never given Christ your life to forgive your sins, then right where you are today, ask him for that gift. Are you ready? Please don't substitute in that moment religious activity. Please don't substitute, well, I've been baptized, I've been confirmed, I've done first communion, I've gone to church, I've been a good person. Please don't substitute those things. Are you ready to look at Christ and have his forgiveness cover over your life? Today, if not, you can ask Christ to come into your life. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he died on the cross, that he was buried and he was raised. And if he is the Lord of your life, then you can be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Secondly, are you ready to have your works disclosed? Just January. Jesus, I want my thoughts, my mind and what I think. Jesus, I want my eyes and what I see, my ears and what I hear, my mouth and what I say. Jesus, take my hands and what I do. Jesus, take my feet and where I go. Jesus, take my wallet and how I spend. Jesus, take my job and how I do it. God, take my home and the way I live among my neighbors, the lost. God, disclose it all in those areas where I am imperfect. Right now, where God is showing you areas, confess those to him. This is what I've done. This is what I've said. This is what I've thought. This is... The Bible says he'll cleanse us from all... He will forgive us, and then he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, forgive me, but make a path for me to not be dealing with this in the month of February or next year. God, help my life and the works to be disclosed for your glory. Lord Jesus, come back. We pray it is quick. God, come back, but we pray that those who we raised our hands for will be saved and that they will come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as you come back, you find a holy people. God, I pray that you would find godly conduct among us, not living like the world, but God, showing the love of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. 
Amen. Let's stand and let's in holy conduct worship a holy God. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.